So everybody gets out here. I, I get an extra story. Are we good? Okay, I know it's past Valentine's Day, but we can call it Valentine's Month. If moms designed candy hearts, shut the door. It's wherever you left it. You're not hungry. You're bored. Let me just finish my coffee. I said, get your shoes on. I saw that. <laughs> Thought we'd enjoy that. I need a volunteer this morning. Can I have a volunteer? Oh, thank you. Come on up. And plus, she has a great name. Yeah. yeah. So tell everyone your name. Joy. Joy. And where are you from, Joy? Originally or here now? Both. Originally from a farm outside of Wasco, and now here in Gavila. That's my life. <laughs> Thank you, Joy. Thanks for coming up so quickly this morning. Okay. All right. Uh, let's start with session four, The Lies We Believe. A young lady and I, a, a little over 10 years ago, went through a book together, and it's called Lies Women Believe and the Truth That Sets Them Free. It's by Nancy Lee DeMoss. And it, um, this one I'm not going to offer anyone to come and take because uh, I wrote things in it. And so no, sorry. Um, but uh, it is a good book. Uh, spurred a lot of really good conversation and like any good publisher, because it went so well, others have been added onto it with different target audiences. The author of The Lies Women Believe says this, the root of most of our struggles, you and I have been lied to, we have been deceived. She then goes on and takes a similar approach to what our study guide author did, talking about Eve. But she takes it in every chapter as if we were reading Eve's journal. And Eve was making journal entries at different stages of her life. So it's very insightful. Um, and you just might find a few lies you believe in there. So she also says this. The best lies are those that look the most like the truth. The newest lies are the oldest ones. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that your word is truth that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that you are always true. We stand on your word this morning and open our minds and our hearts to you and your spirit to teach us. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. So in this book, she covers lies in several different areas, sin, priorities, lies about ourselves, about God, sin, priorities, marriage, children, emotions, and circumstances. But since we're talking idolatry, I thought it w might be good to look at some of the lies on God. Because if we buy into believing these lies about God, we can very easily move right into false worship, idolatry. So let's look at a few of the lies. God is not really good. I tell you, when I was making this PowerPoint and I was typing these, I'm like, I can't even type this, so I had to go back and put a big X in front. So this is a lie. God is not really good. We talked about this last week, well, several weeks ago at this point. Thank you, snow, ice, Chicago, whatever. Um, in the fact that he is good and does only good. So we've touched on this before, but scripturally, scripture clearly tells us Everything he does is good. Listen to a few. Psalm 119. All of these are on your handout. You are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. 
How, uh, Psalm th 31, how great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it. There's that word again. Remember we had lavish last time because Judy was sitting right there with her heart sweater on. This is another thing he lavishes on us. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 100, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Psalm 106, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his faithful love endures forever. And Psalm 136 echoes that. So God is really good. The second lie, God doesn't love me. Well, let's just start off with the basics that God is love. Scripture tells us this in 1 John 4, 8. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And what is our verse for this year? 1 John 4, 19. We love each other because he loved us first. God's love for me is infinite. Look at John 15. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And of course, we know that's exactly what Jesus did for us. When our, all of our children were little, I had a different I love you for each child. Taylor was our firstborn, and each time I would leave him, I, you know, so I'm talking infant carry, arm muscle infant carrier leaving every day. I worked full time for the first year of his life. So every day I would look at him and I would say, Taylor, is there anything you could do to make me love you more? No. I would have to answer because he couldn't, right? He was six weeks old. Is there anything you could do to make me love you less? No. Why? Because I just love you. And then I would leave him. Well, it might not have been the smartest idea. I did change it up with the girls. Because what I was doing, the first word I was teaching him was no. Because he started mimicking that word before he was one. As I would say in the morning, Taylor, is there anything you could do to make me love you more? He, I, I'm not lying to you. He would go like mouth my mouth and, and make a sound. Oh, oh. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm teaching him. No, this is fabulous, Rhonda. But we did this all through his life. Every day when he would go to school, I, starting in kindergarten, well, preschool actually, and then kindergarten, every morning I would say it. In junior high, I noticed there was a change. First of all, I was having to step up on the step to kiss him goodbye on his curly head. But every morning, I would say the same thing. And one morning, when I said, why, he said, because. And I thought, oh, things, they are a-changing. <laughs> so I thought, I should change. So then I started just saying, anything, no. Anything, no. Why, because, kiss, bye. Every day. Then one day in high school when I was still on the step, and I said, anything, no, anything, no, why? Because you just love me. He added the sentence back in. You know, you try not to act shocked as a parent, right? It's like, yeah, okay, you know, bye. <laughs> he goes off to school. When he, the day he got married, when, right before he walked me down the aisle, I asked him, I looked straight in his eyes and said, anything, anything, why? Valentine's Day this year, I sent him a text, well, WhatsApp, because I'm that cool. <laughs> uh, and it was a gif of, he's, he's a computer guy, and so it was just full of code. And I said, me trying to tell you how much I love you. Anything, anything, why? And he answered, ha, no capitals, you know, I failed. <laughs> ha, comma, 
because you just love me, comma, love you too. He did spell two correctly, T-O-O. So for that, I am proud. This is the closest I can get to a glimpse of God's unconditional love for me. Because there is nothing Taylor can do to make me love him more. And there is absolutely nothing he can do to make me love him less. Why? Because he's so great? No, because I just love him. This is unconditional love. God's love for me is unconditional. Listen to Romans 5. When we were utterly helpless, so just in case we think any of us are great and like deserving of this love, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Skip down to verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Ephesians 1 says, even before he made the world, okay, so get the time frame here. Before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. That is God's unconditional love. God's love for me is eternal, Romans 8. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life. Skipping to the end of that passage, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love for me is proven. Look at 1 John 4. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And maybe John 3.16 came into your mind too, right? Proof. He has proven his love for us. God's love for me is too great for me to understand. Ephesians 3. Skip down to just verse 18. May you have the power to understand as all God's people should. How wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it was too great. So, though it is too great to understand fully. The next lie: God is just like my father. Now, for some of us, this is a less painful lie than for others. For, for me, my father uh, was a, a brilliant godly servant for ken um, his father declared him illegitimate while he was still in the womb and left his family we've never seen ken's dad we've seen a picture of him so we know what he looked back like back when he was in his 20s but do you see how this can be and god presents himself in his word repetitively as a father right and jesus when he teaches us to pray what does he say how, how are we supposed to start the prayer our father so you know we as humans we do this without even realizing we do it a lot of times but we hear a word and we make an association that's actually how our brain works and so i just i caution you on this and even for those of us who had wonderful fathers i pulled this out of my lane hope chest do any of you have one of those from a long time ago it's at the foot of our bed so i pulled this out 
um, and made a copy of it, I didn't want to dare bring the original one. This was, I was about to turn 20 because this was um, in June, right before my birthday. So I was 19 years old. I had to put my glasses on because my dad's handwriting is not the easiest to read. He was a brilliant man. He was a physicist, um, but he had a lot of hobbies, all really sports related, which I feel badly for him. He never had a boy. He had three girls, but he grew up playing basketball and playing baseball. And so uh, as a, a man, a father, he coached a basketball team, took them to state. They won state many years. And then he, he uh, also had a softball team, took them to state. They won. And then he also umpired. So now in that context, this is what he writes me. Rhonda, I have made many mistakes of the mind, but never of the heart while you were growing up. For those mistakes, I am truly sorry. Forgive me. Raising children is somewhat like umpiring a ball game. One blows a few calls and wishes they could be corrected, but the call has already been made. When I did this, I always hoped that the outcome of the game would not be affected. When lives are involved, one hopes and prays that the mistakes made along the way will not adversely change the outcome of the game of life. I wanted your best interest to be first. So even a godly servant, who loved his daughter, admittedly made mistakes, right? Is there a parent in the room who has not made mistakes? You probably should be up here teaching if you're in here. No, you shouldn't. You're a, you're a liar. So <laughs> keep your seat. Um, God is infinitely more wise and loving than any earthly father could ever be. Listen to Hebrews. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Truth is, God is not like any man or woman you have ever known or even heard about. Exodus 8:10 There is no one like the Lord our God. Then in Exodus 9 God says it himself, there is no one like me in all the earth. In Deuteronomy, there is no one like the God of Israel. In 1 Samuel, no one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. 2 Samuel, how great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. First Chronicles echoes that, and then in Jeremiah 10, Lord, there is no one like you, for you are great and your name is full of power. Who would not fear you, O King of Nations? That title belongs to you alone. Among all the wise people of the earth and in all the kingdoms of the world, there is no one like you. It's pretty clear, right, from Scripture. So just a caution there, because I added or heard about or read about or thought about because sometimes we idolize people that we don't know. And just remember the truth from God's word. Are you familiar with the song, Good, Good Father? Um, if you're not, the chorus is, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's actually on the back of your handout if you've never heard it before. Or if you just want to listen to all the words, it's a beautiful song. 
The story behind that song, it's actually not by Chris Tomlin. A lot of people think it is. It's just he recorded it. There were two other guys who wrote it, one of whom his name is Tom, Tony, excuse me, Pat Barrett and Tony Brown. So Tony Brown tells the story of the story behind the song. And he is a worship leader in a very, uh, in, a ho- in his home church, like house church. Like there's less than 50 people that attend his church and they were having their prayer time one evening and a young lady voiced her prayer request she had um, been having a very unsuccessful battle with cancer and God had uh, chosen not to heal her at least not to heal her yet and as she lifted this prayer request and the ones gathered around her to pray again over her he said um Their little group had a practice of believing that God was good even in the hard times. So that night, as they were praying over her, this chorus came to Tony's mind. And he just started singing it. You're a good, good father. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. He just started singing it. He said that he was apprehensive at first. You know, would the chorus be frustrating to her? You can imagine, right? And what would it, f- would it feel hollow even to her? But as he whispered the song in the moment, the struggling woman joined in, and she started singing it with him. And then everyone else started singing this little chorus, this, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. He said, quote, I bet we sang it for an hour and an electricity like lightning hit the room. Even in a moment of suffering, they had found the goodness of God. So it became part of their weekly liturgy. And so as people would lift requests, stresses, struggles, the congregants in that little house church broke into the chorus. Whenever there was pain, they sang it. That song became their lifeline. This is Tony's quote. I find it amazing that something as simple as a spontaneous song can unlock the most important idea about who God is. I never knew my father, and I didn't meet my mother until I was 12. So when I came to Christ, I felt like I had a father for the first time, and he was so good. I want to be an instrument of the father's heart to people, that the song ministered the father's heart to that woman, and that moment, it was amazing. God is good, and he is a good, good father all right the next lie oops god is not really enough and because we talked about this in a previous week i'll just give you the scripture again Acts 17 says he himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need god is enough and if i have him i have all i need i think i can add this story back in because i got a few minutes uh in the la- since we talked about my dad in the last few uh, days of his earthly life, uh, he was confined to his bed. But before he got sick in the spring, he had planned his whole funeral. He was totally healthy and planned his whole funeral. I was supposed to write the, uh, what's that goes to the paper? The obituary, thank you. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm so good with words because that was my job to write the obituary. <laughs> and so sometimes he would call Rhonda, have you written it yet? Yeah, Dad, I actually have just 
the dates are missing, you know. So, um, and he asked Becca to sing, you know, he, and he, knew, he wanted preacher to preach, and he told preacher what scripture he wanted to preach. He had the whole thing done. And then he got very ill in July and never returned home, and he passed away right before Thanksgiving. So I live up here, and he was down in Texas. So I got to visit him a few times once he was bedridden and really enjoyed those moments with him, reading scripture and singing songs and watching football and watching basketball. And But then I had to come back up here because we didn't know how long he was going to live. And it was very hard to come back up here. So I would call him often in the day. I play the piano 30 minutes a day. And so sometimes when I'd be playing the piano, I'd just call and they would put the phone on dad's pillow because he always loved, you know, he didn't mind if I hit a wrong note or anything. The last song I played for him is His Eyes on the Sparrow. You know that one? It was one of dad's favorite. And, the l- and I would, sometimes I would, when I was reading scripture, I would think, oh, dad would really like this. And he couldn't hold his Bible anymore, so I would call him and they'd put the phone there and I'd read scripture. Well, when he passed away, my sister Betty, who was down there with him in Texas, said, we, we need to cha- make one change to, because I'm like, okay, the funeral should be, you know, pretty straightforward because what dad says, that's what we're going to do. And um, she said, we need to add a scripture. Rhonda, what was that scripture you read to him? I'm like, oh my gosh, I read so many. I don't know. I don't know. What tell, give me something. And she said, it was towards the end and it was all he would ever talk about. And it was this scripture. Psalm 73, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. God is enough. If I have him, I have all I need. And it is God who completes me no body else or nothing else we see that in colossians 2 for in christ lives all the fullness of god in human body so you also are complete through your union with christ who is the head over every ruler and authority the next lie god's ways are too restrictive you know again back to even the garden think about that what did god say you can have everything but one that is not restrictive people okay anyway Um, We've talked about the truth that God's ways are for our good. You see it here in Deuteronomy 10 and in Jeremiah 32. I enjoyed rereading Psalm 119 last week. Just two verses today. Keep me from lying to myself. Oh, wow. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. His ways for us, his laws, if we thought of them more like a guardrail, uh, my mind is just really on my dad this morning he lived in the great smoky mountains in tennessee and if you've ever ridden on those roads you know they're like woo, you know they're windy yeah thank you you've been there hadn't you yeah so if they're if we think of his instructions to us his laws his regulations as guardrails it's actually what keeps us safe and gives us more freedom they're not restrictive it gives us the best life Psalm 119, I will walk in freedom. The ESV says, in a wide place. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Not restrictive. In a wide place where I've devoted myself to your commandments. The last lie, God should fix my problem. 
Now, this is similar to why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why is there pain and suffering in my life? Why is there pain and suffering in someone I love? The, our, our pastors here just preached uh, a sermon on this, and I encourage you uh, to look at that further in the Explore God series. God should fix my problems. If we just listen to those words, it makes God sound as if he is supposed to be some cosmic genie or some hired servant of mine. This is not who God is. And I'm so thankful that it's not who God is. I don't want to give us any short answers or platitudes because I know there is pain and suffering right here in the chairs and around the table and right here. I do want to, though, share just some scripture that you can meditate on. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. And when I am in the middle of difficulties or trials or troubles, hard times, whatever word you want to describe that, when I am in the middle, the worst thing I can do is compare my life with anyone else's. There's only one comparison that it helps, and it's actually more of a perspective. And that scripture, again, is on your handout, 2 Corinthians. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Sometimes I really do just picture a scale and go, my troubles, and then... and will last forever and no matter what I'm going to I going through whatever I'm facing I can join with Paul and say in 2nd Corinthians 12 God's grace is sufficient for me so what now what the questions are on your handout it's not just identifying the lies but it's also living in the power of the truth of God's word right and the tricky part is the very nature of deception is that when we are being deceived, we don't know that we are being deceived. I mean, that's the tricky part, right? This is what Satan does and who he is. This is actually Jesus' description of Satan. We should probably pay attention. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Kelly gives us an example in our book of the counterfeit bill versus the real bill and how tellers are trained. You get the point. The best way for me to avoid living under a lie, being deceived, is to, to know the truth. One, God, right? And the more that I know him, the more I recognize any of the many false gods that are countless. I can't even name them all for you that presents itself to me and it becomes all for naught because I know the true God right so we've talked about ways that we know the true God we talked about it before about leaning into the truth of who God is through his word his living word Jesus and his written word the Bible I, there's two others that I'm dying to talk with you about so we're going to hit one of them today I'm going to try to move the other one into another lecture in the future the one I want to talk about today is the Holy Spirit which he's, he's a, a little bit, I, for me, harder to grasp than God's word and God's, God's living word and God's written word. And I think the reason why is because I love, uh, how many of you have to-do lists? Like, you do that. 
Yeah, so it's fun to check it off, isn't it? So I can even check off reading God's word and I can even look at a, a gospel a day. I, but the Holy Spirit, there's no checking off. Do you understand what I mean? So I think for me, that's why it's a little bit harder to wrap my head around. Well, then how, how do I know God more through the Holy Spirit? So I just want to share some of what he's been teaching me. Listen to what scripture says about the Holy Spirit. John 14, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. John 15, this is Jesus speaking. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Wow, do you see a connection here between God, the Holy Spirit, and truth? So there's something we need to pay attention here. I have an exercise for you that I'd like for you to try this week. Because it's easy for me to, to know the spirit is with me when I am reading God's word. I don't know if you feel that way, but it, I, I do feel him then. And, and I know that God is with me when I pray. The scripture even tells me that sometimes when I can't come up with the words, the Holy Spirit actually prays for me with groanings, it says. Those are spiritual disciplines. But we need to think bigger and broader than that because the spirit of God is actually with me all the time. So I wrote down when I was writing this, I said... Uh, when I am driving in my car, doing laundry, talking to the mailman at the checkout counter, unloading my groceries, fixing supper, while I'm typing this, when I play the piano, when I read my book, when I watch TV, when I exercise, when I'm making appointments, when I'm talking to insurance agents, and when I am in the bank drive through There is nowhere where I am that he is not, and there is no time that he is not with me. So I challenge you to start a day even if you don't make a to-do list, just write what you think you're going to be doing that day. Everything. And then wait. It, it, read through the list after you've written it and acknowledge that God will be with me. And Because it's a lot of mundane stuff. Did you hear my list? That was my day that day. Some of it had already happened and some of it was going to. I was writing in the, in the late morning hours here. And then at the end of the day, I want you to get the list back out. And look at it again and recognize where God was with you and where you ignored him. Because guess what? He was with you every time. And every mundane thing. And every pair of socks that I looked for the mate in the dryer. God was there. For, for real. Right? How would my life change if I actually believed that? That is the truth of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 139 Psalm 139 says, you know when, this is talking about God, you know when I sit down or stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home, you know everything I do, you go before me and follow me, you place your hand of blessing on my hand, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand, I can never escape from your spirit, I can never get away from your presence, if I go up to heaven, you are there, if I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Now, this would be a little creepy if this was anyone but God, wouldn't it? It would. But don't miss this. It's not just that he's watching you or is with you. Listen to what it says he is doing. He goes before me and follows me. That's provision and protection. His hand of blessing is on my head. That's his love for me. Look what he does. He guides me and he strengthens me. That's support. That's awesome. 
to realize that the, the Spirit is with us all the time. So what difference does the Holy Spirit make in a life? Many of you have probably memorized the fruit of the Spirit. And you know that it's in Galatians 5. It's kind of buried in that chapter. I want us to look at it just briefly. Did you know that before the fruit of the Spirit is listed, the very first verse in that Galatians 5 chapter is, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burned again by a yoke of slavery. Does that like jog your memory? Because that's Exodus. That's when God says, hey, remember, I'm the God who set you free. And then he gives them the first commandment. So don't have any other gods before me and don't make any graven images. Woo, flashback. Okay, so now keep going down in that chapter. Verse 16 says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, I'm trying to follow. And then it gives a long list of bad things, sins. Just point out blank sins one of which is idolatry idolatry makes the list our topic makes the list not a good list to be on and then at the end of that list more of them and envy drunkenness orgies and the like i warn you as i did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of god the very next verse is the fruit of the spirit that you might have memorized that's where the fruit of the spirit comes then immediately after the fruit of the spirit the very next verse says those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, when I say in step with the Spirit, what comes to your mind? What picture? Does a picture come to your mind? Several did to me. I had so much fun on Google Images. Nobody wants to tell me a picture that came to your mind. Keep in step. Being yoked. Okay, what did you say? Dancing, okay, very good. Here is just some that came to my mind. The vaudeville thing, you know, remember how they, oh, okay. And then another one that came to mind is our military, keeping in step. Maybe you thought of a three-legged race, keeping in step. Or maybe you thought of a marching band. Okay, anyone in here ever been in a marching band? Yeah, several. Okay, even if you have not been in a marching band, please tell me that your very brilliant brains tell you clearly that this does not just happen, right? <laughs> None of these just happen. So I wrote down nine things that have to happen to keep in step. And I, I, I wasn't trying to like be religious, so I'm just saying if, for these things to happen and then one that is implied. And since y'all aren't very talkative this morning, and I'm almost out of time, I'll just read you my list. <laughs> Intentionality, a leader, followers, movement, practice, discipline, precision, choice. And then I changed it and said, actually, choices, because it's not just one choice, right? And then I said, cooperation. And implied in this keep in step is an ongoing relationship, as opposed to a one-hit wonder, right? It's an ongoing relationship. You hear it in Romans 8. Listen to the strong language of intentionality here. No longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. Letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. This same Spirit living within you led by the Spirit of God. 
So back to our volunteer, Joy. When I asked Joy to come up, and I asked for a volunteer. And, and what did she do? A lot of things happened before she ever even got here. So I wrote down a few things. Joy, you correct me if I'm wrong on this. Joy first had to see me. Her brain registered my image. Then she heard me. Her brain registered those sound waves and made them into words that her brain then comprehended. She decided to volunteer, so her brain told her arm to raise. Her brain responded to the acknowledgement when I said, come on up. Her brain and her bo- her told her body to stand up, and her brain told her leg to walk up here. Is that true, Joy? Absolutely, it's true. So to keep in step with the Spirit, I must conclude that my mind has got to be in there 100%, or I will not keep in step with the Spirit. So he must be in my head. So Proverbs 23, 7, by the way, tells us that. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. In day four, the doors we leave open, page 76, you're going to talk about it today. Kelly talks about what we should dwell on and gives us some verses to look at. One of which she gives us is Philippians 4, 8. Here's another one in Romans 8. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit, and this leads to life and peace. The Philippians 8 verse you're going to look at today, you looked at this last week. Look at back up and look at the verses before it. You will see the cooperative effort that needs to go into your thinking. Because before you get the whole list of what we're supposed to think on, there are other things we're supposed to do. We're not to worry. We're to pray. We're to thank him. And then we get to experience his peace. And it's his peace who guides us and guards us, guards our minds and hearts in Christ Jesus. Romans 12, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Again, do you see the cooperation? I'm letting God change me. So what now? What You'll have to read those on your own. I want to be clear. We do not always have a choice what thought enters our minds. Do you understand what I mean by that? Scripture says God can read our minds. Satan cannot. God can. But Satan can give me thoughts. So... The choice that I have is not the thought that comes in. The choice that I have is what thought stays. Does that make sense? Martin Luther said it this way. He actually was talking about temptation, but it applies to this as well, to my thought life. He says, because we cannot prevent the birds from flying over our head, there is no need that we should let them nest in our hair. And I'm going to have to skip this next part, and we'll go straight to this. When I was... uh, I was just going to share with you, and I didn't put it on the handout because I thought, I don't want to make this sound like this is the gospel truth. It's just what, what, I, what I have found has worked for me. So it's not on here, um, on your uh, practical. Oh, I did. I went back and put it in once God gave me this word. I'm like, I, d- I don't think I can tell them to do these things because it, it's not necessarily from Scripture. And when I was going back over my notes, I'm like, I wish I just even had an acronym for them for this. And the second, if I change one word, still same meaning, I got an acronym. It's fa- it's ABBA. So you can write down ABBA. Marlene, did I put the things on there? This is my one with the answers. Where's my one with what y'all have? Um, 
Yeah, I did, didn't I? It's on there. Pay attention to, to my thoughts. So circle the word attention. Now, compare my thoughts to God's word. I changed that to the Bible. It should be changed on your handout. And then believe the truth about from God's word. Circle the B. And then act like it, which means walk in it, which means keep in step with the Spirit. Okay? Psalm 119 says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. I, I wanted to put the whole thing on here because look at the footnote that's there. Or for you set my heart free. And then it says, or make my heart broad, and gives another reference in 1 Kings, where breadth of heart or mind is an expanded ability to perceive God's truth. And there we are, full circle. You see how the Holy Spirit helps us in the truth. What is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, doing in me? The scriptures are on your handouts. In Philippians, it says, for God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That makes me so happy. It means he's helping my want to. Sometimes does your want to need a little help? Like you really don't want to fill in that blank that you know God wants you to do. He's even helping me with that. The Holy Spirit, Scripture said, is transforming me, making me more and more like Jesus, changing me into his glorious image. So what now, what are on your handout? A reminder, the Christian life is not about doing. I don't want us to get that idea. It is about being. So I'd like to leave you with the scripture that you can meditate on today, later in the day, throughout the day, focusing on being the child of God through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Romans says. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful, slaves, Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Isn't that beautiful? You are God's child. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much. You're so, so good to us. I'm sorry that I don't always pay attention that you are with me, but I'm just grateful beyond my words that you are. So thank you for the truth of that and help me live in it today. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.